This forum is part of the KeyBank Diversity Thought Leadership Series. We're grateful for their generous support. Production and distribution of City Club forums on IdeaStream Public Media are made possible by PNC and the United Black Fund of Greater Cleveland Incorporated. Good afternoon and welcome to the City Club of Cleveland. I'm Dan Malthrop. I'm the chief executive here, also a proud member. Great to have you all here in person. Give yourselves a round of applause for being something in person. Thank you for being here today. It's part of our KeyBank Diversity Thought Leadership Series, also presented with our, in partnership with Velocity. Our program today, League Leaders, Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion in the NBA and the WNBA. Six years ago, LeBron James and several other players on the Cleveland Cavs and the Brooklyn Nets made national news after they warmed up on the basketball court wearing t-shirts with a simple message, I can't breathe. Those were the last words of Eric Garner, a black man killed earlier that summer by a New York City Police Department officer. Critics called on the NBA to find the players, but the NBA did not find the players. In 2020, WNBA players dedicated the entire season to Breonna Taylor and the Say Her Name campaign a campaign that brought awareness to black female victims of police violence. Players wore We Are Breonna Taylor on their t-shirts and sent proceeds to the Breonna Taylor Foundation. These are just two examples of many, many examples throughout all of sports, really, but leading from the NBA and the WNBA. Their players have been broadly outspoken on topics ranging from mental health to police brutality to equal pay, and next year, the NBA All-Star Game will be coming to Cleveland. Another cause for a round of applause, please. <laughs> Which puts us on the international stage and provides a unique opportunity for the NBA to engage the community in conversations and action around diversity, equity, and inclusion. So today, we're going to talk about the ways in which the past year has reshaped how these two leagues engage their athletes and fans to become allies and advocates for social change. Our panelists today, we've got Oris Stewart, he's Chief People and Inclusion Officer of the NBA. Also Bonnie Thurston, Director for WNBA Player Programs and uh, at the WNBA. And we have Kevin Clayton of the Cleveland Cavaliers, he's Vice President of Diversity, Inclusion and Engagement there. It is so great to have you here, welcome. Good to be here. Welcome to the City Club. So, Ora Stewart, I'd like to start with you um, and sort of broadly around this issue of diversity, equity, and inclusion, and justice, social justice. This has become, this all used to be sort of a set of kind of issues on the fringe of what the league was about. They are much more central today. How has that happened, and what does that mean in this moment? Well, first, thanks for, thanks for the question, and I want to thank the Key Bank and the City Club and the, uh, the other sponsors, certainly the Cavaliers, for having us here and hosting this conversation. And, and Dan, you said that these are issues that were on the fringes, and I would just uh, challenge that a bit, because I, I, I believe, certainly from my experience with the league, not only in the six years I've been there, but growing up, loving the game and, and watching the players, uh, this has been, these have been issues that have been central to who we are, central to our brand, and have uh, largely informed, you know, the way that we've gone about our business. So, 
Uh, certainly there's a, a level of focus and energy and attention now that we've not seen before, but I'd like to believe the reason that we've gotten to this point is because these were fundamental values and, and, and things that we cared and our players, our owners, our fans cared about deeply. And, and so we've all experienced this pandemic, this uh, COVID-19 pandemic. We all experienced this movement for social justice that uh, has taken up much of the... Change out your mic quickly here. Sure, sure. There you go. All right, keep going. Well done. Thank you. Is that better? I think so, yeah. Okay, terrific, terrific. You put on your tie. Just keep talking. You're good. So, so, so we've, we've gone through this... Uh, Hang on to that, too. We've, go, we, <laughs> we've gone through this, uh, this period of, uh, of dramatic change and challenge. And it's forced us all to come to terms with what's happening in the world around us. Uh, we, we've seen things that, you know, some of us have seen before, but some haven't. We've had to come to terms with what, what society is really like for, for folks that we, you know, might not have spent as much time focusing on. And so for us, this conversation, this focus, uh, this, the energy we're spending, the investments we're making, it really is about taking the role that we believe uh, we, we have a responsibility to take and a role I think we uniquely can play and really bringing people together. Mm -hmm. We believe the focus that you're seeing with us is, is in recognition that sports, like perhaps only music and food, brings people together across <laughs> differences, right? It's, uh, we provide an opportunity for people to, to engage and to celebrate. And, and given that, given that unique place we have, given the followership our players have, uh, this is uh, this is something that is really important to us, and so you, you've seen you've seen the, the things we've done around the league. You've seen the things we've done in the communities, and uh, and we're going to keep keep at it. Or Stewart is chief people and inclusion officer with the NBA. Bonnie Thurston with the WNBA. Um, talk a little bit about. And, and by the way, we're in the finals right now, right? Game three tonight. Right. I'm I'm told to instruct you to tune in at 9 p.m. Um, ESPN two. ESPN two, <laughs> Phoenix, Chicago. Um, but Bonnie, the, this, whole, this whole season, the last two seasons, I mean, this is um, when, you were, when the players were in, in the WNBA's bubble. I mean, this has been an intense time for the WNBA. Yeah. You know, Dan, in your opening remarks, you mentioned um, the NBA players wearing the I Can't Breathe t-shirts. That same year, six weeks before Colin Kaepernick took a knee, WNBA players were wearing black t-shirts that were not their shooting shirts. They wore shirts that said, that bore the names of Philando Castile and Alton Sterling and the police officers who were killed in Dallas. Um, so WNBA players are not new to social justice. Um, I think what has changed is how closely we're working with them. Mm -hmm. um, we are working in partnership with the WNBPA, which is the Players Association for the WNBA. Um, and it's really player driven. And I think what we've seen is players have just not wanted to shut up and dribble, to quote LeBron James. Um, and we are here to support that and to do what we can to enable them to be the best kind of advocates that they can be in, on the issues that are important to them. So, and in these conversations, I think, um, have always been important, but they're really important right now because I think we're making moves in the right direction. I mean, it's interesting, the, the, the players would, regardless of what the league decided to do, the players are gonna find a platform to speak about these things. And it's really different, though, for the WNBA to say, here, use our platform. Don't just go on that other radio show or, or that podcast or something. Use this platform here. 
Use, use our Instagram handle and have conversations with people like Raquel Willis and Kimberly Crenshaw, um, Janae Nelson from the NAACP LDF. Have those conversations for our fans to hear them too. Mm -hmm. Kevin Clayton, you're with the Cavs. Um, what are the conversations like with the players that we love here? Yes. <clears throat> so also thank you for, Dan, allowing me to be part of this discussion. Uh, when I think back after, actually to George Floyd, when that incident happened and Mr. Floyd was murdered, and I think about our coach, uh, J.B. Bickerstaff and Kobe Altman, how they immediately had a statement that they put out, and that was on their own. Uh, the organization followed. And it, we didn't just follow with a statement, we followed with action. We also connected with our players. What are you thinking about this? What are you feeling about this? And I remember one of the most profound conversations that I've had since I've been with the, been with the team for the last two and a half years is we had our ownership group connect with the players on a Zoom call. What are you all thinking? What are you all feeling? What do we need to do to support what's important to you? And there's a number of things that have come out of that. Let it be uh, conversations and resources we're gonna have to help the community from the digital divide standpoint because around education, that was huge for one of our players. When we think about making statements and what does those statements look like, it's also uh, contributing to different communities that are in need in Cleveland. So it wasn't just making a statement, but you had to start there because you had to actually say what you believe and then walk that with the talk. And that's what we've been able to do and we continue to do that because we believe that we have a, a, a real um, obligation from a civic engagement standpoint that it's not just who's on the court, it's also what those players do off the court and support the entire mission of our organization. And that's with all, all of the teams as well. But for us, that is a, a core value of who the Cavs are. Kevin Clayton, with, the, uh, with this season that uh, is just beginning right now, the, what are the issues that, the, that we're going to, I mean, it just seems silly to say that we're going to see on t-shirts. But, but what I mean is, what are the issues that are front of mind right now for your players? So the, the players really, as we've engaged with them, is really a carryover from last year. So yes. it wasn't in result of what happened with George Floyd, let's have a meeting and do things. It's been a continuation. So some of the things in which we are working on, as I mentioned, around the digital divide, mm -hmm. in which we are bringing some resources that will be announced next week uh, to help Cleveland. And it came from the players telling ownership, these are some of the things we want to do. When we think about also from a community giving standpoint, you know, we have a significant giving platform of which we are in communities across all demographics. So it's not just African-American or, or, or black or white or what have you. It's all demographics in which we have focused on. So our players do have a giving heart and they have a giving will and giving spirit that is a part, a core of what we'll be doing. So really focusing on education. We have a law enforcement uh, program that we're working where we're engaging youth in conversations with law enforcement. And, and those are two of the platforms in which we're going to continue to, to leverage this year. Could you talk more about that? Because the, so much of the activism that players have engaged in has been around uh, police accountability. Yes. So, so engaging with, directly with law enforcement is a, a just, it's complicated. Right. So right after George Floyd w was murdered, um, our three general managers for the three sports teams here in Cleveland, the Cavs, the Browns, and Indians actually had a conversation around what can we uniquely do collective? How can we actually come together to leverage our brands in a way that we couldn't do as just single organizations? So the three GMs then commissioned about 15 people off of each one of the teams in which we have been meeting for the last year weekly to work on three pillars. Law enforcement was one. How do we close the gap between law enforcement officers and communities of color? 
And the closing the gap is around the communication. How do we have them understand each other's perspective? So we've been meeting in each, each other's facilities around education, the digital divide. And the third has to do with civic engagement around voting. And voting has been a huge opportunity for this community, not just from the last election, which was presidential, but we have a mayoral race not right now. And then next year we have a, a county executive race. So it's how do we get more people to vote in a nonpartisan way? It's we just want to encourage voting. So those are the three pillars. And we came together because the strength of the three of our sports brand is stronger than one. So those are really the focus areas that we've had. Mm -hmm. And I know that that's sort of maybe not one of the three pillars, but uh, another important issue has been kind of normalizing mental health issues as well. Right, w which is actually an undertone to all three of those as well. Mm -hmm. um, the, the law enforcement uh, piece does seem challenging though. And, in a, and, and over this last year when we've seen homicide rates um, spike really across the country and these, this place where we are, and it is really a question for, for all of you, this place where we are as a nation regarding policing and police accountability um, is uh, it's very, very challenging. And nobody, I don't know, nobody wants unsafe streets, right? Nobody, um, but everybody seems to want all of this to work better. What role, or Stewart, do you think the NBA can play in, in bringing more accountability, more justice, and, and better, safer, better policing, safer communities? You know, there's, a, there's an important role we can play and a role we're, we're trying to play. We formed a, a social justice coalition, which is made up of uh, our players, team governors, and members of the league office, all with the focus of following very similar pillars to what Kevin just mentioned, but one of them is social is justice and, and equality, and we have been very uh, focused on supporting local, state, and federal le legislation targeting pol police reform, tar targeting more accountability, and, uh, and and bridging that gap, bridging that divide. And so, you know, th through the social justice uh, coalition. There's a big effort on our part, but you know we go way back to uh, over the years having teams bring local youth and law enforcement together to have conversations, to build bridges, to build understanding about each other. You know we believe that the part of the gap is there's not enough familiarity, not enough comfort, and as a result, not enough trust. And through conversations, through just getting on a court together and experiencing the game, the game that you know we, many of us love. Uh, that we can build kinship, we can build understanding, and ultimately, if I'm a young person in the city, I grew up in Philadelphia, I have a different sense of who these officers are, I, and rather than fear them, I engage them in a different way. And certainly, the officers can build much deeper connections, you know, with uh, with the youth. And so, there, there are things we've been doing over time, but in particular through the Social Justice Coalition, uh, we're very focused on uh, building bridges, advocating reform. And, and supporting legislation at the local, state, and national level. Mm -hmm. Bonnie Thurston, the WNBA has a social justice council. Can you talk a little bit about that and how and, and the work of the work they're doing? Absolutely. So we started the social justice council uh, last summer when we had all the players together at IMG Academy in Bradenton, Florida. Um, it was very convenient because we knew what everyone's schedule was and when people might have more time to to get together and have these meetings. Um, the council is made up of a number of WNBA players, 
Um, we've got representatives from the league and the union, as well as a number of advisors in um, very specific areas that are important to the players. Um, we have used that council to kind of inform some of the work that we're doing, uh, as well as to hold important conversations because kind of alluded to it before, but it's the, the first step in really becoming an advocate or an activist is to really understand what it is that you're advocating for, understand the issue in its entirety. And so we've engaged people like the legend Professor Kimberly Crenshaw um, to help us out with some of the work that we're doing. Um, Raquel Willis, who I mentioned before, Carolyn DeWitt from Rock the Vote. So the areas that are important to the players in the 2021, the, the now concluding 2021 season that they chose to focus on. And again, this is all player led. Um, we work arm in arm with them, but we, they have kind of identified the issues that are most important to them. So um, one of them is health equity with a focus on mental health. Uh, the second one is LGBTQ plus rights with a focus on trans inclusion in sports. And the third is voting rights, which um, is important to all of us, clearly. Totally. The, um, there's a, you brought up the LGBTQI inclusion and specifically mm -hmm. trans inclusion in sports. Um, that is not, uh, if you will, a slam dunk in every sport, in every league. <laughs> um, thank you. You had to go there, Dan. You had to go there. Thank you. Appreciate the encouragement. Thank you. Um, but no, in all seriousness, um, not every league is embracing trans athletes in the same way. You know, if you listen to, um, or if you pay attention to what's going on across this country where over 100 anti-trans uh, bills have been introduced this year, 2021 has been the worst year for anti-LGBTQ legislation since I believe 2015 when it comes to um, state, uh, state laws. Um, trans kids are not a threat. Um, so stopping kids, stopping. Um, I, I'm also gonna give myself a plug here. I, I'm the co-founder and co-chair of NBA Pride, which is the first um, LGBTQ plus employee resource team for, uh, within professional sports. Um, so. I'm gonna keep going, I'm gonna keep going. Uh, no, thank you, thank you. Um, you, you're, but, you are now, you have to applaud after every phrase that she yeah. <laughs> Should I just say slam dunk? Will that work? Uh, yeah. No, so, so I, you know, we all know the benefits of playing sports, right? That's kind of why we all do what we do. Like, it makes a difference. And, and sports do bring people together. But kids are not a threat. And allowing kids to play sports that align with, on the teams that align with their gender identity is not earth shattering. You know, it's not, it's not, it, it's easy. That's low hanging fruit, as they say, right? The, the thing that I think we need to keep in mind, but one of the, the arguments that people make is that, you know, cisgender kids are not gonna be able to win. Well, the last time I checked, most of the winners in girls and women's sports are cisgender. So it's not really the problem that people are making it out to be. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it doesn't seem to me to be a big threat in prof, at the professional level either, or the collegiate level, or, I mean, but I, I, I don't know what I don't know about yeah. why people get upset about these things. Um, was it pro problematic or challenging at all for the WNBA to come out in support of trans athletes the way that it did? I think it was a slam dunk. <laughs> it was, it, it was, you know, we, um, I will say that the WNBA um, and the NBA have 
amazingly committed leaders um, from Adam Silver to um, Kathy Engelbert, who's the WNBA commissioner, and everyone in between, including Oris, who leads our diversity efforts. Um, it, it wasn't hard. Um, Kathy Behrens is the president of, um, of social responsibility and player programs for all of our leagues. Um, and she, years before we even started the ERT, was doing this work. Um, so, you know, it's just, it's just natural for us. It's kind of, you know, we say it a lot, it's in our DNA, but it really, really is. I mean, I have been working at the WNBA for, I'm on my 17th season now, and I have been an out queer woman there the whole time. I have raised a family with the money that I've made from, a, you know, a league that is comprised largely of black women and a lot of queer women, um, you know, and, and um, I don't take that lightly. I want to uh, switch topics a little bit here, come to you, Kevin Clayton, about um, what a lot of people in this room will understand to be like something that's very important in Ohio, but it's also happening around the country with, with regard to education. There's a series of, um, of bills and, and a kind of a movement throughout state legislatures around the country against a, a full teaching of history um, and against uh, con historical uh, records that might make people feel uncomfortable and, and so forth. I'm probably not phrasing any of this correctly. Um, as, a, as, as somebody who was a high school teacher who taught concepts that made people feel uncomfortable because I believe that's how you learn, um, it's hard for me to wrap my head around why people are so opposed to these things. But I'm, I, I have to imagine that the players are aware of this. Uh, this is often called like, you know, anti-critical race theory, but mm -hmm. um, Anyway, the players must be aware of this, and they have some serious platforms. I mean, what are they thinking about? What are they doing? How are they reaching out to state legislators at all to, to sort of say, hey, we'd really, we really want to support a full education for children? Yeah, so we are aware of the issues, and as you said, it's critical race theory that actually is kind of a camouflage to deal with no discussions about race, no discussion about diversity, no discussion about inclusion. If you just think about the hypocrisy of that, how could you not have a conversation about any of those? But what they've done is they've said, hey, critical race theory. So there have been several bills in which have actually been slowed through Congress, or I should say slowed through the legislature here. Uh, from a player perspective, um, I've not talked to any of our players about that. I do know where our players stand about fairness and equality and humanity for everybody. So it's a consistent platform. But I will tell you it's something that the three-team three alliance is dealing with. It's something which each one of our teams separately and from a uniform standpoint are dealing with because it really would undermine really humanity and society if we did not have conversations dealing with the issues and challenges of race, equity, and fairness. So we stand on the side of humanity. We stand on the, right, the side of rights for everybody, and it's something in which we watch very closely. Mm -hmm. Or Stewart, are you, um, are you hearing these kinds of conversations happening around the country right now? I mean, this is a national phenomenon. It, it is, and if I could just uh, say, you know, my father was a history teacher, and so, <laughs> so for better or for worse, I grew up around dinner learning history <laughs> and having all kind of uh, amazing uh, conversations, but you know, his philosophy, and I know many of us have heard this from other places, if you don't know your history, you're doomed to repeat it, right? Mm -hmm. and, and part of, I believe, part of the reason or, or co what contributes to the situation we're in is just not a deep enough appreciation for what got us here, for what's put us in the situation that we're in, individuals, groups, and collectively. And so, 
So we have to have those conversations. And, and I think what you're seeing are vested interests, you know, not prepared for or open to the conversation, but we have to break through. We have to have these conversations to, to be able to build the capacity to work through our differences. And, and, and let me just say, there's so much more that we have in common, if we can get to it, than what keeps us apart. But we just can't seem to get to discover those similarities and those connection points. And so for me, the, the journey to, to progress or, or the path to progress, uh, the path to or, uh, inclusion in a more organic way mm -hmm. is building a deeper appreciation for who we are, building a deeper appreciation for our respective journeys mm -hmm. and respect for those respective journeys and then giving us the capacity to talk and work through our differences. And, and so we've got to keep fighting, we've got to keep working through it, and we, we certainly will continue to do our part as much as we can. Or Stewart, from the, when you look across the league, and, and Bonnie, when you look across the WNBA, um, are there uh, players or teams who are doing things in this vein around DE&I work, around community engagement, that you're particularly excited about, that you hold up as a model? Or let's start with you. Well, let me celebrate the Cavs, right? <laughs> let's, let me celebrate the Cavs. I mean, and, and I, I say that with, uh, with all sincerity. Uh, you know, Kevin, Nick, you know, Len, you know, they, ha they have very early on said, if there's something that the league wants to do or something, a way that we can contribute, a way that we can advance the conversation of inclusion from, from our place in, in the world and our place in, in the market, we're, we're on board. And so they have always been supportive, not only supportive, but they have been leaders in terms of identifying programming and, uh, and, and creating opportunities. So certainly the Cavs have, have been uh, you know, major contributors. And, and you're seeing things all across the league. We have a award we call the Inclusion Innovation Award. And we designed that just to recognize those teams, first of all, to motivate teams to continue to push the envelope, but also to recognize those teams that are, are really focused on these topics and, and, and inventing and trying new, trying new things and breaking through. And so uh, over the years that we've given that award uh, out, you know, there's, there have been you know, a different team each year that has, has, has been honored. And so I just think it just goes to show this is something we all care deeply about and, and good work is happening around the country. Bonnie? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think a lot of our teams are really doing a great job and, and there's been a focus from the league to help push diversity hiring practices, um, when co particularly when coaching and um, front office vacancies occur. Um, so there is a diversity hiring task force mm -hmm. that's taken place, and or sorry, that, that has been kind of uh, organized, I guess, for lack of a better term. Um, and so the work there is to try to make sure we have better representation of people of color, people of various kind of gender experiences, if you will, um, in these roles. Um, and what we've seen is a lot of retired WNBA players are now moving into the ranks in both WNBA teams and NBA teams. Um, so we've got, currently we have, um, of the 12 WNBA teams, six have women head coaches. Four of those head coaches are former WNBA players. Three of those coaches are black women. Um, so we're getting there. It's, I'd like to see a little bit more, but um, we're getting there. Mm -hmm. Could you share the story of, uh, we were talking before about, um, about the, the Lynx, the Minnesota Lynx, and Lasia Clarendon. Um, could you share a little bit about, about Lasia's journey? Because I know that's, a, that's a, another barrier that's been broken. 
So Lasia Clarendon is a guard for the Minnesota Lynx. Lasia is non-binary and uses all pronouns. Um, so Lasia, in broadcast, you'll routinely hear Lasia spoken about as she, he, they, them. Lasia doesn't care, just use Lasia's name. Um, Lasia has uh, had, has been publicly um, talking about the top surgery that they had to better align with the gender identity experience that they're having. Um, and Lasia's been at the forefront of our conversations about trans inclusion and mm -hmm. is a member of the WNBA Social Justice Council. Top uh, surgery, we should explain, is, is, is basically a double mastectomy. That's correct. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So um, Lasia started the season on the New York Liberty and was waived and was picked up by the Minnesota Lynx and has been thriving there. I mean, um, the optics may have seemed like there was something else at play, but at the end of the day, sometimes it's just basketball decisions, and I think that's what happened there, um, because obviously there was not any kind of, um, you know, prohibition about Lasia playing in the league. We're an inclusive league. We lead with inclusion, um, and so there was never any doubt that Lasia had a place in this league. It's, it's a, I asked you to share that story because it really is a story of the leadership of the WNBA. It's hard to imagine something analogous happening in almost any other league. So congratulations. Thank you. It's a big deal. I, um, I wish I could take the credit for that slam well, dunk. I, I mean, I, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, we're going to move to audience questions in a second, but I, I just wanted to kind of close this portion on, on asking you all to reflect a little on kind of how much we ask of our athletes. Sometimes I think of it, when I think about Lasia or Colin Kaepernick or Greg Luganis or so many others, Michael Sam, um, we ask so much of them. And we ask them to do everything that we're asking of them, to do it in the public spotlight, under intense scrutiny, knowing that no matter what they choose, there's going to be a, a large vocal group who will hate it and, 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 and let you know that they hate them for it. Oris, what's that like for players? Well, it's, uh, it's a great responsibility. And it, and it may even be unfair <laughs> to a certain extent, right? Because uh, these uh, players, these athletes, have dedicated their lives to, to their craft, to their sport. Uh, they have uh, you know, uh, focused all of their energy and attention. And, and we, as fans and, and as followers, often put our ambitions and our hopes and dreams you know, uh, on them. And, and it, it may, may or may not be fair. But, but, but players you know, recognize that responsibility, certainly the, the, many of the ones that I have the privilege of working with. Uh, they recognize the, the followership that's there and you know, really try to, to, to be true to that. You know? they, but they also, at the end of the day, have their own lived experiences. And so they've got to be true to those lived experiences as well. And so, so there, therein lies the challenge. You've got a whole world looking, looking out to you to represent them, but ultimately you've got to represent what's, what's true to you. So uh, it is a challenge. And what uh, you, know, you heard Bonnie mention, the support that we provide for our players. And, and, our, and that support largely comes in the way of helping them recognize the impact they have on their fans, helping them recognize that what's most important is for them to have informed points of view, right? And to, to make sure that they've prepared themselves for whatever position they're gonna take. And then, and then to, to stick with it and, and, and to, to, to do the work, do the, do the research uh, and, and to be convicted and to, to stick with it and, and recognize that there are gonna be folks who 
you know, support you and, and those who don't. But, you know, I, I, do, I do wonder how fair it is for us, you know, as fans to, to expect so much of them. Yeah. Uh, you know, when, you know, they've really dedicated their lives, not necessarily to answering those issues, but really to performing at the most elite levels in their particular craft. Mm -hmm. Kevin Clayton. Yeah. From my experience in the last three years since I've been with the team, um, what I've seen is that those players that we ask to do things, they also want to do those things. Mm -hmm. So, you know, as Orr's references, you know, the demands that we put on them, a number of players are out front and they really want to participate and they want to use the platform so their voice can be heard which we support wholeheartedly. Mm -hmm. Bonnie? Yeah, I mean, I think I agree with you that a lot of times those players do want to do things, but at the end of the day, we also have to recognize that, as Oris mentioned, we are all human. There are people in this room going through things that we don't know about right now, right? We're just not in the public eye. Um, so that's also where the, the mental health support comes in very, very strongly. Mm -hmm. um, we, both NBA and WNBA, have put a lot of focus on making sure that teams offer adequate mental health support to the players as well as um, at the league office like we've done lots of kind of mental health check-ins with our players so they i mean they're on zoom most of the time but mm -hmm. we had a, we made sure we had a sports psychologist in our bubble um, in person so that's kind of we do we do ask a lot of them um, but we also have to be there to support them and you know there are times when they're not going to be able to do all the things that we ask of them, and, and we just have to be able to pivot quickly. And yeah, and I suppose you have to balance too. I mean, like create room for for those who want to be vocal activists, and create room for those who would just who may be a little more introverted, maybe just want to keep to themselves. Yeah, I mean, you you also have to recognize that there is such a thing as kind of the social justice fatigue. You know, people become tired of fighting. Yeah. And, um, and, and speaking up, and it's, you, you kind of want more people to kind of raise their voices and become more of a chorus than having a soloist. Yeah. Bonnie Thurston is Director of Player Programs for the WNBA. Kevin Clayton is with us as well. He's Vice President of Diversity, Inclusion, and Engagement for the Cleveland Cavs. Ora Stewart, Chief People and Inclusion Officer at the NBA. We're going to move to audience questions now. Um, I'm Dan Malthrop with the City Club, by the way, for our listening audience. Um, if you have a question, we've got a couple of microphones, and um, you can, and we've got them staffed as well. Um, so if you have a question, just uh, feel our staff will help you get to the microphone there. If you are listening uh, on our live stream or on the radio, you can text your question to 330-541-5794, or you can tweet it at the City Club, and we will work it into the program. I think we're ready for our first question. Hello, so I have a question. Um, so we all know the uh, NBA has a huge following. They have the fans, the money. Um, I, I just want to hear a little bit about how the NBA is supporting the WNBA um, because the crowds are not as big. You know, is it possible to have a, a New York Knicks day at the New York Liberty game, you know, or a, Lakers day at the Sparks game. Uh, how, how can you speak a little bit, Oris, about how the NBA is supporting the, uh, the fan base and the, um, the crowds for the WNBA? Yeah, sure. I'll, 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 take, a, I'll take a stab at that, and, and Bonnie, I'll have a, I'm sure, have a point of view as well. Uh, and I would just start out by saying you know, the NBA is just about to tip off our 75th season. And so there's a, a lot of history that's gotten us to this point. And so it is, and I know there's a lot of focus on 
the continued growth of the W and, and the success they've had, quite frankly, over, particularly over the la uh, last number of years in terms of growth in fans, growth in, mer in merchandising sales, and just general interest. And so that's something we're really excited about. But they're in their 25th year, right? And so you really are talking about uh, two leagues that are very different stages of experience and maturity. And so we recognize as, uh, and, and I heard Adam use this phrase uh, recently, big brothers of, of the W, that there's a particular role we have to play as, the, as a league. Our players, you, uh, hopefully you've seen the support our players around the league have given to, to their sister players in, in the W or, to, or their, their fellow colleagues in the W. And it's, uh, it's something that we're, we're very focused on. The kinds of activations like you described are things we're actually working on. Uh, you know, co-marketing efforts as well. But uh, I, I would just say that, you know, we, we are excited about the growth that's happening. And, and some of what you've seen is because of folks like Bonnie, uh, folks like uh, Kathy Engelbert, who she referred to earlier, who's the commissioner there, and, uh, and just uh, efforts by a lot of folks to really give the W the attention it deserves. They play a beautiful game, and, uh, and more, more people need to see it. Yeah, I'll say it's really nice to be in this room and, and be around everyone today, um, but I, I think there's still a lot of fear, right? And so I think right before the 2020 season, kind of going into the 2020 season, there was a lot of momentum, and the WNBA was getting a lot of attention. Um, and then we went and played without fans. <laughs> and then we, you know, so then we had this year where we're kind of getting fans back in the buildings again. And I personally, you know, I have children who are too young to be vaccinated, so I have some fear about going into some spaces where there might be large crowds, regardless of vaccination status. So I think we were getting to the point where, you know, we're getting those buildings a little more full, but I think there's still some trepidation around it. We are seeing tremendous support from the NBA, not just the league itself and the teams, but, you know, I, um, I'm headed to game three tonight after I leave here, um, which is in Chicago. Thankfully, that, that worked out really well. Um, but uh, game two, which was in Phoenix, took place, actually the, um, the Suns and the Trailblazers played on the Mercury Court in a preseason game that day. When they left, or rather when the game was over, those guys changed, they came back, they sat courtside, both teams sat courtside, stayed for the whole entire game. If you look, there's, there are pictures on social media of Devin Booker with his little camera taking pictures, you know, and, and to watch them cheer and dance. And, you know, the WNBA is, is cool, and the WNBA is great basketball. Um, you know, Kobe Bryant was a, a huge fan, which a lot of people um, know, and the, that iconic orange hoodie uh, picture gets a lot of play. But, um, you know, the best is yet to come. We keep growing, and I think the NBA will continue supporting us, and, and, um, and hopefully those fans will, will start coming to our buildings too. Kevin Clayton, go ahead. If I could add one thing to that, and really want to talk to what Oris mentioned, Cleveland does not have a WNBA team. However, we're working from an all-star standpoint, the NBA all-star game, which we talked about, will be here. With our partnership with Velocity and the Sports Commission, we're building in a platform for WNBA players to come during the NBA all-star game for their messages to be heard in the community. So that our young ladies and, and young men and what have you can also be around the WNBA stars during the NBA All-Star Game. So that's an example of the NBA leveraging its asset to give a platform for the WNBA. Can we get an exhibition game? That, that is way above my pay grade. <laughs>
or us to make it happen. We'll, we'll put that in the process. For sure. <laughs> That'd be great. Next question. Uh, good afternoon. Uh, in uh, July of 2020, the State Board of Education, of which I am a member, uh, in response to the murder of George Floyd, we passed a resolution uh, condemning hate, racism, white supremacy, and uh, advancing equity and opportunity for students of color. Um, elections happened. We lost so, some, some supporters, and we gained some folks who denied the existence of systemic racism. And so as a result, on Wednesday, that resolution was res rescinded by a vote of, of 10 to 7. And, and so the reason I'm bringing this up is because of Dan's excellent question when he talked about the bills that are going around that are just going into our classrooms. And so with all of this happening, our, our students need help. They need help in understanding the importance of differences and the importance of, of being anti-racist. And so my question to you is, what is the NBA and the WNBA doing to actually go into our classrooms and try to head off all this destructive, toxic stuff that's going on in the country? Yeah, so it's a, it's a great question, and, and I appreciate you asking it, and I would really look back to, uh, to a history, a long history of our players in particular, being connecting with our, our youngest fans and spending time in the classroom and building those relationships uh, and that's something that continues. You were, t you were speaking specifically to you know, engaging our students in, in a, a, a different conversation, in a, a conversation more focused on kind of the current environment. And so l let's be clear, this is something our players are, it is very important to them personally, uh, you know, whether it's in their market community where they play their games or if it's in their home community, which you see quite a bit of our players going home to their local community where they grew up and engaging their, uh, the, the, the students and young people in those communities. I've seen an incredible amount of that kind of engagement. And by the way, that doesn't get picked up on, on the media in the way that may, it, maybe it should or, or, or shouldn't, but that's where I see incredible, uh, authentic, organic, deep engagement because those players are known and loved in that community and they, they know that community. And so. Uh, there's an incredible amount of that going on across our league, across, uh, across the country, uh, or I should say across North America. And, um, and so you can, you can feel confident that th those conversations and that support is happening. And I would say um, across both leagues, the, uh, the WNBA and the NBA are both strongly committed to um, social responsibility and all of our teams have fantastic social responsibility um, departments who will go out and make those connections, which you know the Cavs do as well, um, make these connections in the community to go and kind of build relationships with schools. Um, I know you're, I, I, I read about the, um, the vote that you mentioned, the 10 to 7 vote um, around critical race theory. Um, and as I mentioned, Kimberly Crenshaw, who coined the, term Kim, um, coined the term critical race theory and also intersectionality is one of the advisors to the WMA Social Justice Council. So. We're, uh, we're very much in support of, of that work. In my comment, given that you referenced that from a local perspective, uh, offline, I would love to be able to connect with you. It is the work also of the three-team alliance. It's the work of the Cavaliers. But it's really having citizens like you bring that to us so that we can leverage our, our support behind it. Next and question. And I like your mask. Oh. I have the same one. <laughs> <laughs> a 
first of all, thank you for being here once again. Uh, Tony Peebles with Case Western Reserve University. I'm interested in the power of creating career opportunities because part of any diversity, equity, inclusion program for various races and gender experiences is the opportunity to get into maybe some of the off the court opportunities in professional sports, including the NBA. We had the privilege of having Kevin Clayton bring a team to our campus and other campuses in the region to talk to those students about those opportunities, whether it's in data science or in sales or management. Can you guys elaborate a little bit about that as part of the platform for diversity, equity, inclusion within the NBA and maybe specifically with the Cavs? Yeah, yeah it, the, the notion of creating awareness of the unique opportunities that are available in sports and then helping to prepare students as early as we can to, to, to consider those opportunities and, and prepare themselves is very, very much a focus of ours. And, and I'll just give you a very specific example. Uh, we recently launched a program we call the, the Business of Basketball. And that Business of Basketball program has a number of different threads, but it's the Future Sales Stars is a cohort underneath that. Future Analytics Stars is another cohort. And we're building out uh, a whole focus on the, uh, the operational aspects of the, the on-court experience, right? So, so basketball operations, as it were. And we, uh, we've created those programs, you know, put the, uh, the opportunity out there and, and had an enormous amount of applications. Of course, we couldn't accommodate everyone that was interested, but it affirmed that there's interest and a recognition that there's some unique things you can do in sports. And so we've just got to find more capacity to touch more people. But we are, going to only, we are only going to succeed by reaching deeper into communities that represent our fans, that represent our players, and bringing them into the game. And, and I'll just tell you, and I, I grew up, you know, I, I love sports, but I didn't think about sports in the context of working behind the game. Like, I, you know, I thought about and I knew what was happening on a court. I knew about the basketball side. But there's an incredible opportunity on the business side. And we have to get new energy, new ideas, new mindsets, a different set of experiences so we can keep growing this game. And so uh, very focused on it. And it also includes connections into uh, HBCUs, historically black colleges and universities, because they're a unique opportunity and access point for us to better represent the diversity of our fans. So. Uh, you'll certainly, and if you have any particular interests, we can connect, uh, you know, certainly students at your institution, we can make sure they're aware of these opportunities, but it's something we're very invested in. And, and the future of our game, the future of our business really depends on it. Kevin? Yeah. So, Anthony, thanks for the question. And one of the things that we've done, and I want to talk about from top down and bottom up. So, um, as you know, we do have the program that's a diversity, inclusion, sports career combine. And if you think about what a combine is from a NFL standpoint, you bring together all this talent and you have opportunities that await these college athletes. So we've done that something very similar to have all of our teams, all our departments available to bring students to this particular combine. Recently, we've engaged in conversation with CMSD to do a similar program across multiple teams, in pro teams here in Cleveland, to do a career sports combine for high school students. So that's kind of the bottom-up, top-down method. So one of the things, and I really appreciate what you said. That sounds so much more fun than a job fair. Yeah, no, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the, the evolution, right? Yeah. Yeah. So so what I appreciate about what you said, appreciate about what you said, Oris, was the fact that thinking about a career in sports isn't something that really is 
like at top of mind for young black and brown kids in communities. So what we've done is taken that opportunity to the community so that they can see, hey, I can be an accountant for the cabs, or I can work in marketing or, or data research. So you'll see that coming very soon, the top, top down, bottom up theory. Okay. And, and just to, to add to that, although you didn't ask about the WNBA, I won't hold it against you, um, but, <laughs> but you know, um, Oris can speak to some, I'm not asking you to speak to them, but there are some programs at the NBA that, like the assistant coaches program with the G League, that attracts a lot of retired WNBA players. And, and on the player program side, what I focus on primarily is off-court, um, everything off-court for, for WNBA players. And so we've done a series of career empowerment sessions where we've brought in, we, we try to always include retired players in these conversations so that players really can see themselves. Uh, but we've done conversations on broadcasting, on coaching, on working in a front office. Um, and in addition to kind of having these conversations, they're able to network with those folks. And we've seen an increase in the number, I think I referenced it earlier, but the number of former WNBA players who are now working in NBA, G League, and, and WNBA um, offices. Awesome. Next question. Hello. Uh, thank you all so much. This has been very interesting. Um, I had a question written that was partially answered, but I'm going to take it another angle. I love seeing these high school students here. Yeah. And I know that my child's school is represented here, and I would be so sad if I could imagine that in a U.S. history course, they're not talking about the complexity of our racist history. So I we'd say critical race theory, and I think hopefully many people in this room already learned that that's not what anyone's teaching in any high school yeah, right. at all. It's talking about, actually talking about racism. And the idea that a teacher at your school could be fired because they could lose their license because they talk about it. So I loved your last comment, Mr. Clayton, about connecting to talk, and I'm just wondering here if you could make a commitment to the community that you could with the other Cleveland and maybe Ohio sports teams, make a commitment to have brave conversations, to enter this conversation with our state legislature because it's really scary and there's only so much we can do. So I'm not saying that you can commit to what you can do, but can you commit to brave conversations with other sports teams to get engaged? So uh, thank you for putting me on the spot right now. <laughs> um, but also anybody that knows me knows that I'm not shy of the confrontation of the tough conversation. So what I will commit to do is to bring that point to the other sports teams and put it at their doorstep and let them deal with it. And I will make sure that we will um, continue to have dialogue with you and your colleague um, in, in the back that reference it to make sure that we're ad addressing this. So if you have my commitment, that's what I will do. I can't commit on behalf of the other teams, obviously. Yep. Go ahead. Hi, Becky Talley with KeyBank. And first of all, thank you from leading from the front. Definitely appreciate everything that the NBA is doing and casting that shadow. My question is, I know that there's been a lot in the media recently with John Gruden. And when you think about what's happening there with the NFL, you know, obviously there's a lot of accountability and responsibility you've all talked about with the players. How are you holding coaches accountable? And when I think about that with our businesses, managers, leaders, being able to have a platform or a forum in the communities to ensure that where we have individuals in leadership positions, that there's the same amount of accountability. 
Well, well I'm glad, if I'll, I'll jump Please. in here. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought up coaches because I didn't. And, and I talked, I'll speak for myself, but I talked a lot about the engagement of our players in, in these topics of diversity, equity, inclusion, social justice. But, but our coaches are in this conversation too. And they're in this conversation with our players because it's important to our players and if our coaches are, and our general managers are gonna get the best out of our players and are gonna be able to connect with them, they've gotta be in support of them. So those conversations are happening in the, uh, in, in the practice court and they're happening in the locker room and they're happening on the, on the plane going from game to game. Uh, but our coaches have also taken a stand uh, on these issues. And, uh, and so in the midst of the, 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 uh, the summer of 20, <laughs> the summer of 20, you know, they came together uh, in their own way to advance a, uh, advance a topic and, and, and advance a, a framework to support uh, the players and to focus on these issues. So our coaches are very much in the mix. And, and your question specifically was, how are we holding them accountable? And I would just say, just that the nature of who we are and our game and, and who our players are and, uh, and who our team owners are and who our commissioner is, I, I just think it's you know, maybe a little bit of a different issue with us. Right? Our, our, our coaches are, uh, they, they know who, who we are as a league. You don't, you don't get to coach at the NBA level unless you know, you know and have, have been in the game at a, at a way, in a certain way. And so I just, I, I would just be really, really surprised and certainly disappointed if, you know, we had that kind of issue. We have, we have our own challenges, all of which we're working through. I'm hoping that that's not one of them. So if I could, to speak on behalf of your Cavaliers, um, I got closer to our general manager, Kobe Altman, who's behind you, and our coach, J.B. Bickerstaff, the moment after the George Floyd murder, because we aligned ourselves to talk about how we make sure the messaging goes down throughout the entire organization. And with that, Coach has been driving this whole connecting point that I referenced with law enforcement and students. That was through Coach Bickerstaff going back to the Coaches Association and also with NOBA, which is the National Organization of Black Law Enforcement Officers. Coach Bickerstaff drove that to say Cleveland will be the first in which we're gonna have these critical conversations. So to the point about accountability, our coaches just had a retreat to kick off our season, which starts on October 22nd. They had a retreat about a month ago in which I was on their agenda to talk about here's all the things in which we will be doing this year. Here's ways in which you can connect. Here are the things from a value standpoint. Here's all the things from a DE&I perspective that we're going to be doing so that they have a clear understanding. And that was the first time since I've been here over three years that I was part of the planning of the coaches from a strategic standpoint. So those are the kind of things that really matter because it's not just lip service, it's integrating it into their strategy and from a behavior standpoint. Kevin Clayton is with the Cleveland Cavs, Bonnie Thurston with the WNBA, or Stewart with the NBA. Thank you all so much. It's been a fantastic conversation. Round of applause, please. Um, there's a lot of notes of gratitude I'd like to offer to all of you for being a part of this conversation, and especially those of you who had questions. I'm sorry we didn't get to all of them. Um, but also um, to Key Bank and, and the Greater Cleveland Sports Commission for teaming up to, to really focus our attention on this important issue. 
Um, and the and we get to do this because the All Star Game is coming to. That's sort of the ostensibly the reason we're doing this. But they the, they brought the draft. They brought the 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 MLB All Star Game. I mean, this is a, a round of applause for the Greater Cleveland Sports Commission. Please. Um, so uh, thank you so much for, for that work. I also want to thank guests at tables hosted by KeyBank, Shaker Heights High School, Velocity, the Greater Cleveland Sports Commission, and Western Reserve Academy. So great, especially to have students here with us today. We hope you enjoyed it. Make sure to join us in person next week, Friday, October 22nd, a late addition to our calendar, um, a debate on issue 24, which is the charter amendment that would bring significant changes to police accountability in the city. This issue has drawn some of the starkest distinctions between the two mayoral candidates. Um, and next Friday, we'll talk about what it's all about and how this would actually change the city charter. So please do join us for that. As I said, it's a late addition to the calendar, so we're doing kind of a flash sale on tickets. Get yours on the way out. But, um, but, uh, but really, do, do please join us. If you've always wanted to come to a city club forum, it's, uh, this is going to be one you'll want to be at. That brings us to the end of our forum today. Thank you so much, ladies and gentlemen, friends of the city club, our panelists. Our forum is now adjourned. For information on upcoming speakers or for podcasts of the City Club, go to cityclub.org. Production and distribution of City Club forums on IdeaStream Public Media are made possible by PNC and the United Black Fund of Greater Cleveland Incorporated.